On January 19, 1988, 19-year-old Susan Swedell prepared to head to her family's home in Lake Elmo, Minnesota, after her shift at a department store in the nearby town Oak Park Heights. She called ahead to let her mother know she was coming home to watch a movie and eat popcorn but might be a little late due to snow. Driving in heavy snow, Susan made it as far as a gas station at the corner of Highway 5 and Manning Avenue, where she asked an attendant if she could leave her car at the station because she was having car trouble. A short while later, the attendant saw her get into another car with an unidentified man described as unshaven, tall, with shoulder-length curly hair. He was well-built and wearing a leather jacket. This was the last time Susan was seen. We now know what happened to Jacob Wetterling, but the whereabouts of dozens of other Minnesota children still remain a mystery. 19-year-old Susan Swedell disappeared from Lake Elmo 29 years ago this week. This has never been a closed case. It's been a nightmare. It was a snowy night, only about a 15-minute ride. It's just like she fell off the face of the earth. There isn't a day that goes by that, that they don't think about Susan. And... I, I think in Susan's case, somebody knows something. Welcome to the Still Missing Podcast. I'm your host, Kara Thanert. I've been reading about and researching missing people for the past 12 years of my life, but I've never done anything actionable on any of their behalfs. So why would I now? I'm not an investigator, a detective, a podcast expert, a writer, or really anyone you've ever known of before. I'm none of those things. In fact, I'm actually an office manager just your everyday elevator riding nine to five. But you know, sometimes in life, maybe most times, I would argue, in those moments that define us, we are challenged to ask ourselves if we believe something is possible or if it is not. I thought about those hundreds, thousands of cases I'd poured over over the past 12 years that I'd researched, supposedly cared about, but never done anything for, not a single one of them. I had to ask myself, what was the point of this hobby? Did I actually believe any of them could be resolved? This case, Susan's story, it caught me like a fish with a hook in its mouth, pulled me straight into it. So here I am, in my attic, recording this, right up here in Minnesota, the cold and frozen north, the Fargo-sounding, snowboot-wearing, casserole-loving land of 10,000 lakes. Because I believe we can find out what happened to Susan Swaddell. If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try again. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. 29 years is a long time. Names change, people move, people retire. And finding a working phone number for anyone I was trying to contact in relation to this case was proving very difficult. When I started this amateur investigation, I felt like the case was this golden folder that had been sealed and passed from detective to detective, desk to desk over the years. Every time I thought I'd found an investigator who would know something, he'd refer me to someone else, who was supposedly now handling the case, or for one reason or another, had more information. How many times had this case changed hands? Then, after years of silence on the internet, Susan's case finally popped back up. My Google News Alert for Susan sent me something. Within the article, I found the name of the person I knew I needed to talk to. The original detective who had responded to the initial missing person report. The only problem was, he too was proving very difficult to find. I'd located a few phone numbers I thought were his, 
but now they were somebody else's. Additionally, he wasn't on social media, at least that I could find. Late one night up in her attic at my desk on a whim, I internet sleuthed every single person listed as a relative of his on whitepages.com. About the 14th person in, I located someone on Facebook and had a good feeling. So I reached out to her and I was right. She knew him and she gave me his phone number. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. He didn't answer, so I left him this message. Hi, Jesse. My name is Kara Fannert. I'm with the Still Missing Podcast, and I'm looking to speak with you about the Susan Spadell case. I got your number from your who I found on Facebook, and if you, if you could give me a call back at 612 I'd love the chance to speak with you. Thank you. Bye. My family has lived in Minnesota our whole lives, but even so... To be quite honest, I didn't even know Susan's name until less than a year ago. It seems crazy to me that after all these years, I'd never heard of Susan. Because actually, I grew up only 15 miles from the location she disappeared. Susan went missing from a gas station located in Lake Elmo, Minnesota, also referred to by locals as Baytown Township, or just Baytown. She was on her way home from her job at Kmart, which is located in Oak Park Heights. Oak Park Heights borders the larger, more well-known Stillwater, Minnesota, with its picturesque historic downtown Main Street and views of the St. Croix River. Antique shops, candy stores, hot air balloon rides, bed and breakfasts, and Lake Elmo and Baytown follow suit. Sure, in the past 30 years, the area has undoubtedly grown, with bigger roads, more houses, schools, stores. But when you visit certain parts of that area today, you still get a feeling you're in a small community. Think farms, horses, pockets of forests and long dirt driveways. There's a county fairground, a town airport with two runways, and a drive-in movie theater called Valley High. So 1988 was just about 30 years ago, when a gallon of gas was only 90 cents and milk was a buck 89. In Minnesota in 1988, it was the return of the quote-unquote real winter in Minnesota. Cold weather and snow drifted knee-deep. If you've never been here before in January, consider yourself lucky. The middle of January in Minnesota typically offers us one of two types of days— either an icy cold one that's so brilliantly bright with the clearest of skies and air so chilling that it actually hurts your teeth, or a day that's cloudy and hazy, cloaked in some shade of gray and only a murky semblance of the sun up there in the sky. The latter of those, the cloudy day, the hazy day, that's the type of day it snows. I have to imagine this was the type of day it was on January 19th, 1988. A few days passed since I called the detective and still no word from him. I was up late, thinking about the case, and rereading Susan's Reddit threads and her web sleuths page. When I started my amateur investigation, I started to notice something peculiar about it. Something that bothered me. It seems like Susan's disappearance has gotten very little attention by the general public and media over the years. Even today, I can only find two Reddit threads about her, each with under 50 comments. If you aren't familiar with Reddit, or if you've never looked at Reddit threads of famous missing person cases, then let me sum it up for you. Two Reddit threads, under 50 comments? This is pathetic. It's sad. In contrast, take a look at Nellie Holloway's Reddit presence. Hundreds of pages, thousands of comments. And that's even if you spell her name wrong. But I have to believe it isn't because people don't care or wouldn't care about Susan. It's because they simply don't know her name or anything about her case. 
And what's more than just the lack of attention and information I found on Susan and her disappearance is the nature of the facts that do exist in the tiny dusty corners of the internet where you can find a little unorganized group of voices who do talk about Susan. All their posts are filled with questions and frustrations with the facts. Here's Canary529041 on Reddit. I've read this one before, but it never really caught my interest until I just reread it. Some of the missing details are really frustrating. Did she smoke? What kind of car was she driving? Blah. AJS1004 asks, Is it possible that she had more than one set of work clothes, and that's why they were on her bed? Then, love a great mystery with, Can a pet cock loosen on its own over time or from being jostled, or does it have to be done manually? And Dwyla comments, This one makes my head hurt. So many weird random things. I asked my husband who's a mechanic, and he says cars can and do run hot in cold weather. It's a myth that they don't. I'm not sure what year her car was, but he also says that by 1988, being able to loosen the petcock would be hard to do. So what exactly are these facts that are so confusing? What are these Reddit users referencing? Here, see for yourself. Here's a combined summary of all the case descriptions I have found so far, based on newspaper articles, the Charlie Project website, and the Doe Network. On January 19, 1988, Susan Swaddell prepared to head to her family's home in Lake Elmo, Minnesota after her shift at the Kmart in the nearby town Oak Park Heights. She called ahead to let her mother know she was coming home, but might be a little late due to blizzard conditions. Co-workers said just before leaving the store at the end of her shift, Susan changed her clothes out of the red pantsuit she had worn for her shift and into a short skirt. Susan made it as far as the gas station on Highway 5 and Manning Avenue, where she asked an attendant if she could leave her car at the gas station due to car trouble. A short while later, the attendant saw her get into another car with an unidentified man described as unshaven, tall, with shoulder-length curly hair. He was well-built and wearing a leather jacket. When Susan hadn't come home by late evening, her mother and sister called the local Washington County Sheriff's Department. Deputies found her car at the gas station, which was closed. Swedell's driver's license was found in her car. Thinking she may have tried to walk home in the snowstorm, which dumped 7.5 inches of snow on the metro area, they searched roads and ditches. Investigators didn't learn Susan was leaving the gas station with the man until the next day. Her mother took her car to a mechanic shop and was told by the mechanic that the car's petcock had been loosened, so it had overheated. Additionally, Susan's mother has indicated she believes Susan returned to their apartment after the date of the disappearance. She stated there was a smell of smoke at the residence and dirty dishes. The red pantsuit she had been wearing at Kmart the day of her disappearance was found balled up under her bed. There was no sign that Susan was actually in the home, however, and it remains unclear whether she was or not. Some facts feel extra overly specific, like they're trying to imply something to point us into making some type of assumption, while other facts are almost annoyingly vague. This is one of those cases that's just dripping with questions. What's with the short skirt, the car trouble, the smell of smoke in the house after she had disappeared? And actually, one of the most important questions I have is what about Susan? Who is she? What was she like? I don't know much about her, but let me tell you what I do know. Susan had very light brown hair and hazel eyes. In the photos available of her, her smile is bright and soft and genuine. 
You know, the way we smile when we're 19 years old and have our lives ahead of us. She looks girlish, spirited, confident, well-meaning, young, innocent, with radiant glowing skin. Susan was petite at five foot four and a hundred pounds. Sometimes when I look at her photo, it makes my eyes fill with tears. Not because I knew Susan or her family, which I do not, but because it doesn't seem fair that Susan went missing. And frighteningly, it seems like Susan could have been me or you or anyone we know. I think one of the things people do when they read about or hear about missing people is look for facts and parts of the story to disassociate themselves from it. Like, oh, that could never happen to me or my kids or friends or family members because of reason XYZ. Reason XYZ is why that person went missing. And since reason XYZ doesn't apply to my life, then that, that can't happen to me or anyone I know. But it happened. It happened to Susan. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. But this time, it was my voicemail. I was at work at the time, but for once, for once in my life, I got lucky. A week from my first call to him, Detective Jesse Kurtz called me back. Hello, this is uh, the Jesse Kurtz. You called me regarding, I think, the Susan Squadell case. Uh, and yes, I was the uh, first detective and I am still to this day working that case. In fact, I just got off the phone with the sheriff. Hey guys, if you know anything about the disappearance of Susan Swaddell or anything that could be relevant, please speak up and contact the Washington County Sheriff Department's tip line at 651-430-7850. Additionally, please help get Susan's story out there by going to facebook.com slash stillmissingpodcast and share the post with Susan's photo in it. Next time on Still Missing. It's on the bottom of the radiator. And there it is, the gas station. They had to have some kind of communication with this individual sometime that day. Thank you for listening to Still Missing. If you like what you hear, don't forget to go to iTunes and rate and review our podcast. See you next time.